My name is Derek Fortenberry. I'm the pastor of Families with Students here at Longview Point. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. We hope that you are coming with your hearts full, ready to sing praises with, together as a family, and also just hear God's Word opened up and taught from from Pastor Wade here in a little while. Normally, this is the Sunday that we celebrate our seniors, those who are graduating from all of our local high schools here. And we want to take a moment and do that here in just a minute. But before we do that, we do want to let you know that if there's any way that we can be praying for you, whether you're a church member or a guest, whoever you may be, we would be so honored to do that. Send us an email at prayer at longviewpoint.org. And we just count it as a great honor to be able to intercede on your behalf. It may be praises that you have. It may be prayer requests of difficulties that you're going through and we as a staff just would be privileged to be able to pray for you and your family so make sure you're doing that also stay connected with us our Facebook page is constantly active in fact we actually have some pictures of our seniors as babies so you can see how they've grown over the past 18 years uh, but we also keep you informed on everything that's going on at the church and ways that you can be involved and so follow our Facebook page our Twitter page and make sure that you know everything that's going on at the point before we look at the seniors I just want to take a minute and just pray for us and then we will learn more about who our seniors are and what God has in store for them next. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we get to worship you for the gift of technology. We long for the day where we can meet together again uh, as a church family. But Lord, you are gracious and we know that you are working and you are moving. Father, I thank you for these seniors. I thank you for uh, the way that you have worked in their lives already. Lord, we look forward to what you have in store for them as well. And may you just be uh, just blessed and glorified by their lives, that they will be missionaries where you place them. And Lord, let that be the heartbeat of every single one of us, that we are your ambassadors, people that have sent out, that you've sent out to be your light. And so, Lord, give us that missions mindset wherever you placed us. Lord, you are an amazing God and worthy of our praise. Help us to worship you, for you alone are worthy. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Our first senior is Kaylin Ash. She is the daughter of Robert and Tammy Ash and graduated from Hernando High School, will be attending Middle Tennessee State University in the fall to pursue a degree in animation. Daniel Grisham, the son of Paul and Christy Grisham. He's homeschooled and will be attending Northwest Community College in the fall for a degree in English. Bowen Haley, the son of Scott and Beth Haley, is a graduate of Hernando High School and will be going to Itawamba Community College in the fall to pursue a degree in civil engineering. Lauren Harlow, the daughter of Grant and Jennifer Harlow, She's a graduate of Horn Lake High School and will be going to Northwest Community College to pursue a degree in nursing. 
Carly Lynn Lambert, the daughter of Jeff and Lori Lambert. She's homeschooled and will be attending Northwest Community College in the fall to pursue a degree in biology. Melissa McGeehee, the daughter of Ryan and Natalie McGeehee. She is homeschooled as well and will be attending Northwest Community College for a degree in nursing. Lydia Moyer, the daughter of Bill and Terry Moyer. She's a graduate of Hernando High School and will be attending Northwest Community College in the fall for a degree in business. Lee Pierce Jr. He's the son of Lee and Laura Pierce. He's a graduate of Hernando High School and will be attending Northwest Community College in the fall uh, for a paramedic degree. Matthew Robinson, the son of Bruce and Kim Robinson. He is a graduate of Hernando High School and will be attending Mississippi State University in the fall to pursue a degree in engineering. Kylan Stepter, the son of Ron and Kathy Stepter, is also a graduate of Hernando High School. He will be playing baseball at East Mississippi Community College and will be pursuing a degree in business administration. Meredith Brooke Stewart, the daughter of Mike and Lisa Witt. She will, is a graduate of Marshall Academy and will be attending Northwest Community College in the fall. William Stewart, he's the son of Judy Stewart and a graduate of Lewisburg High School. He will be playing football at Northwest Community College in the fall and pursuing a degree in computer engineering. Meredith Tatko, the daughter of Mark and Paige Tatko. She is a graduate of North Point Christian School and will be attending University of North Alabama in the fall to pursue a degree in criminal justice. Allie Grace Weaver, the daughter of Mike and Jana Weaver. She is a graduate of Lausanne Collegiate School and will be attending the Mississippi University for Women for a degree in nursing. Zachary Peter Zay, the son of Pete and Gina Zay. He is a graduate of Lewisburg High School, has also spent the entire senior year as a volunteer at Love Fire Department, but he will be attending Northwest Community College in the fall as part of their EMT program as well. We hope that you'll continue to pray for these seniors and encourage them as they enter into this important next stage of life. Child of God 
Loved us 
enough that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. And we thank you this morning. We just praise you this morning. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. I find thy power and thine alone can change the leprous spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It's white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died. My soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. Lord, we love you this morning. Lord, we praise you this morning. We just want to say thank you. Oh, praise the one. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Point. It's good to be with you. I hope you and your family are doing well where you are. This morning we're going to be studying together the book of 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 19. So if you would go ahead and get your Bibles out, sort of clear any distractions out of the way. 
uh, gather your family, assemble yourselves, and are ready for the study of God's Word together. Last week, we were able to talk about testing the spirits. John encourages the church in 1 John chapter 4, Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4 focused on testing the spirits or discerning the spirits. And then in verse 7, there's a pretty sharp transition. Verses 7 through 19, in fact, uh, much of the remainder of the epistle of 1 John, much of the entire epistle of 1 John, is focused on the topic of love. Now, that sharp transition might seem or feel a little disjointed if you're just looking down and you're going from verse 6 where we're talking about the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception into verse 7 where the Bible talks about let us love one another because love is from God and then you have this explanation of the command to love and the love that God has for us in verses 7 through uh, 19. It might seem a little disconnected or disjointed. Uh, then you think about uh, discernment, the need for discernment and how often love is a considerable factor in that. How many so-called discernment ministries have you observed in recent uh, months and years that really needed a, a double portion, an extra dose of, of love and their efforts at discernment. Often in our attempts to be discerning, we can uh, lack the kind of love that God calls us to. So there's really a connection that exists between the call to discern or to test the spirits and the call to love one another well. Verses 7 through 19, are littered with the language of love. In fact, um, John is referred to as the apostle uh, that Jesus loved, the beloved uh, disciple, and uh, often the apostle of love because so much of the gospel of John and so much of the epistles of John are concentrated on the language of love. There are uh, roughly 46 uh, references to love, some derivation of the word love in the epistle of 1 John. Uh, it, it, it doesn't take long reading in 1 John to get the impression, the strong impression that love is of real interest to the Apostle John and it ought to be of real interest to us for the reasons given in the verses that are before us this morning. So if you would focus your attention on 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 and following, let us read together. The Bible says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and His love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in Him, and He in us. He has given assurance to us from His Spirit, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in Him. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we, are, for we are as He is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because He first loved us. John begins very simply with the call or the command to love. This has been referred to a number of times already in the first few chapters of 1 John. In verse 7 he says again, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Here John does what he typically does in the letter. He revisits a topic already covered or discussed, but provides greater detail. 
He's revisiting the command to love issued a number of times already in 1 John. And he simply says again, dear friends, let us love one another. But he goes deeper in the sense that he gives us the why. Often as children, we can remember being instructed to do a certain task, a chore, perform some act, and we wanted to know why. I see that in my own children now. There's something helpful about understanding the why. John says we are to love one another because love is from God. That is, love emanates from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. What John is referring to here is the fact that love is a function of the new birth in us. We have the capacity to love as God intends us to love because of the work of regeneration in us. In other words, apart from the work of regeneration in us, we do not have the capacity to love as God calls us to love. Often what the world understands as love is really quite self-serving. It's about survival or personal satisfaction. It's a very selfish affection. It's uh, really a form of, of, of envy on some level, covetousness. I see something that I desire. I'm attracted to that. I desire to have that for myself. But, but here, love as it's defined in our text is radically different. The kind of love that God calls us to, the kind of love exemplified in the person and the work of Jesus Christ is a selfless, sacrificial kind of love. We have the capacity for that kind of love because of the new birth in us, because of the work of regeneration. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8 says, the one who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. Now this test has been issued a number of times in 1 John. We have a handful of these tests for evaluating ourselves to see that we're in the faith. We might call this particular test the love test. If you find that you have the ability to love in a manner consistent with what God has called us to do, that's evidence of the new birth. That's evidence of regeneration in you. The trouble is, there's often confusion about the kind of love that God calls us to versus the kind of love that's commonplace in this world. What is clear in verse 8 is that the absence of love is an indication of the absence of, of the new birth. If, if you find yourself living in a place of bitterness, harboring hostility in your heart, unable to issue forgiveness to those who might sin against you, it may well be an indication of uh, the absence of saving faith. In fact, John speaks more decisively than that. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, we've touched a couple of times, and I, th I think if you're thinking critically through this text and this message, you're aware that the world understands love in a different way than often God defines love for us. So we're getting into what I think is a critical part of our passage. Here in verse 9, we have a discussion of the revelation of love, how it is that God's love is revealed. Look at verse 9. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God showed His love toward us, and not by merely expressing His affection for us, although we have expressions of God's affection for us in the Scripture. God has spoken through the prophets. He is on record uh, as to His love for His people. But the greatest testament, the highest expression of God's love for us, is the sending forth of His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. You might remember a few weeks ago, John called us to love one another, not with mere affection, but in truth and action, we are to love one another. There is a deep and abiding affection that God has in his heart for his people. Yes, yes, and yes. But God is on record by action for the kind of love that he has for his people as well. Sending forth his only son in order that he might gather us to himself so that we might live through him. This is God's revelation of love. His revelation is 
not finished, we'll touch on other ways that God reveals His love, even through His people, in a, a few verses here. Look down to verse number 10. Love consists in this, or more appropriately, I think, a translation might read, love is this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So what we see already, what is abundantly clear is that the love that God calls us to is a sacrificial love. The Father shows His love for His children in making a great sacrifice of Himself, namely the sacrifice of His Son. John defines love for us in verse 10. Love is this. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God. Not that we had done anything to merit the favor of God. Not that God looked upon us and He saw something great about us and so He said, I'm going to love him or her or whatever the case would be. Not that God saw in us some glimmer of, of promise, a future, and the prospect of hope. No, God looked upon us in, in a state of wickedness while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God looked upon us while we were in a position of hostility and enmity against Him. While we were hostile enemies of the cross, Christ came and died in our stead. Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, not that we have merited His favor, not that we're deserving of His mercy and His grace. He looked upon us, and while we were undeserving, in action, God went on record to demonstrate His love for us. The kind of love that God calls us to as followers of Jesus Christ really anticipates no reward in return for our efforts. It isn't issued merely to those who are deserving of this affection. It is given, given freely on the basis of grace and mercy alone. It's not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is, He sent His Son to satisfy His wrath against our sin. It's not as though God became dismissive of our sin, decided that He would merely not punish our sin. No, the punishment for the sin of every blood-bought believer is paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' death, the wrath of God against us has been satisfied. Jesus steps in not to merely show grace in some passive sense to those who are undeserving. Jesus steps in to swallow the most jagged of pills on behalf of those who hated Him. Jesus embraces on behalf of His enemy their most desperate need. Jesus drinks the bitter cup of our need, even while we are found in a position of undeservedness. We remain in a condition of undeservedness. Love is this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to satisfy the wrath of God against our sin. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. If God has loved us this way, if, if we are who we are as Christian people as a consequence of God's love for us, doesn't it stand to reason that this attribute of God's character, that the, the love that God has shown us would be central to who we are? Doesn't it stand to reason that if we are who we are in Christ because of God's love for us, that we would be a people who stood ready to give love in truth and action to the world around us. John is helping us to make sense of why it is that love is so central to who we are as followers of Christ. Why it is that Jesus would say that of all the behaviors, of all the affections, of all of the actions that you might take, it is the characteristic of love by which the world will know that you are my disciples. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. And then John says something that seems to be completely out of place in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is perfected 
in us. Now here's what I think John is hinting at here. If you're looking carefully, closely at verses 7 through 19, you come to verse 12 and it seems wholly out of place. No one has ever seen God. We're moving from the command that we must love one another because of God's great love for us into a discussion of how we are to further love one another and it's evidence of God's remaining in us and God's love being perfected in us. And here in the middle is this statement that seems completely out of place. No one has ever seen God. It seems to be John's subtle way of saying that we have opportunity, we have occasion as the body of Christ to model the love of God in the world around us. No, no one has ever seen God. But in the act of loving one another as the body, and the act of loving the world around us, we, we have this great opportunity of being an example of God's love before the world, of being something, although a small something of a revelation of God's love and affection for the world around us. It's, it's amazing how infrequent congregations can be known for the love that they have for one another and the love that they have for their city. But when you find it, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful thing. When you find it, you always find a congregation of people who are walking in harmony and love and affection for one another, and you always find a congregation of people who are efficient and effective in the, in the work of the gospel in the communities in which God has planted them. Verse 12 continues, If we love one another, God remains in us, and His love is perfected in us. That is... God's love for us reaches an intended consequence of His love for us, namely, that we are now empowered through the work of regeneration by the new birth. We have been empowered to love one another as the body and to love those outside of the body as well. One of the intended consequences of God expressing His love for us in sending His Son Jesus was that we would have the capacity within the community and the fellowship of the church to love one another. In spite of differences in backgrounds and all kinds of factors that might be wildly different in each of our individual experiences, because of the work of the new birth, because of regeneration, because of the common ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the capacity to, and we must, the command from God that we would love one another. Now in verses 13 through 19, there's again, I think, a bit of a transition. Verse 13 begins with this phrase we've become well accustomed to, this is how we know. Specifically, this is how we know that we remain in Him and He in us. John is picking up again this idea of the topic of assurance. I was discussing with some brothers First uh, John and the challenge of preaching through First John in the last week, and you may be picking up on this as we study through week by week. Whereas most New Testament letters, most writing can be outlined in a linear fashion, John's outline looks like this. He's always circling back to a topic that has been touched upon earlier, providing further details. He's done that in the first few verses of chapter 4, and he begins to pick that, that uh, approach up again in verses 13 through 19, returning here to the topic of assurance. Now, we've talked a number of times about eternal security or assurance, meaning, um, eternal security meaning the security, the confidence, the assurance that we have that come what may, no matter what happens in our life, when we breathe our last breath in the here and now, that we will wake up on the other side in the presence of our Savior Jesus. Eternal security simply means we have security, confidence, that we will see Jesus in heaven one day. We have assurance that we will not meet torment for the sins of our earthly life because of the shed blood of Jesus. An important topic in the epistle of, of 1 John. In verse 13, we're revisiting an assurance that we touched upon a few weeks ago. John says he has given his assurance to us from his spirit. Now earlier, John promised us assurance 
of the Spirit in the context of our obedience. In other words, John says, there is the assurance of the Holy Spirit that comes um, as a result of or um, in synergy with our faithful obedience to the gospel call, to the commands of Christ. There is an assurance of the Spirit that is granted when we faithfully obey the commandments of God. There's an assurance of the Spirit that's granted in a variety of contexts, but specific to 1 John, we've dealt with that assurance of the Spirit. Here things are just a little different. It's in the context of love. And John is saying there is an assurance of the Spirit that accompanies our love for one another. The ability that we have to love one another should grant us assurance. Even in that context, the Spirit of God settles the heart and stills the soul and calms anxieties and fears about our eternal destination because we're able to look at the fruit in our life. We're able to see this a work of regeneration at play within our personal experience. God gives us assurance from His Holy Spirit. We've talked about that at a number of places. In verse 14, John says, We have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. One of the interesting things about the way John talks about assurance in the Holy Spirit is although he connects that up with various acts, our obedience in one instance, our ability to love in this particular instance, it's always drawn together with a, a, a gospel, a biblical gospel understanding, some expression of our faith in Jesus. It's a safeguard against a feeling of assurance where there is no valid claim to assurance of salvation at all. We have assurance for a variety of reasons. Here we have assurance because the Spirit ministers assurance. We have assurance because we see an ability to love that goes beyond the capacity of the natural man. But the ground of our assurance is our confession that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world, that Christ has died for our sins. In verse 15, John continues, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Confessing Jesus is knowing the love that God has for us through His Son, Jesus. Understanding that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is God's record of His love and affection for His people. Assurance of the Spirit accompanies our love for others. The goal of God's love for us is to maximize His glory in our salvation. We know His love for us through Jesus so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Continue on in verse number 16. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in Him. This is a continued discussion on this idea of assurance. If you're finding again the ability to love, it's an indication of your remaining in God, and it's further indication of God remaining in you, because the ability to love does not derive from or originate with you. It originates from God. God is love. From God emanates love. Your ability to love is not intrinsic to who you are in your natural man. It is born forth from the work and presence of the Spirit in your life. This little phrase here, God is love, has been so misrepresented and misunderstood in all kinds of contexts. God is love. There is no mistaking that. It is among the attributes of His character that are most cherished. God is love. Whatever God does, God does out of love. God is love. And I think the satanic distortion and the way of warping and twisting what the Bible makes abundantly clear about the love that, that God has for us is, is by rearranging the language of, of the phrase. To say that God is love is quite a different thing from saying that love is God. That seems to be the Western manipulation of this idea that whatever we do we are to, to do in a way that's driven by love and typically that means a love that's uh, that cast off truth and uh, objective criteria for morality a love that's uh, subjective subjected to every wind and doctrine hopefully I'm speaking to a gathering of people that understand that love is to be defined in the terms that God has defined it 
It's exemplified in the person and work of Jesus. The kind of love that God calls us to is a sacrificial love. It's a love that doesn't abandon the truth. It's a love that loves not only in action, but also in truth. That truth being found in the pages of, of God's Word. God is love. Yes, yes, and yes. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. Verse 17 says, In this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. Now John has introduced at a number of points this idea of the day of judgment. He doesn't, he doesn't give a great explanation of the day of judgment. He doesn't speak of a coming day of judgment in such clear terms, but it's assumed at a number of points along the way. In fact, the mention of propitiation in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2 and the mention of propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath against us, is a somewhat veiled way of bringing into the conversation the idea of a day of judgment that is to come. The reason we need Christ to atone for our sin, to be our propitiation, is because the day of judgment is coming. Here John says, love is perfected in us in that we have confidence for the day of judgment. Now, the idea here of perfection is not so much about something being pristine and perfect in the sense we often use the word. It's about filling up, bringing to completion, or accomplishing in us what it is intended to accomplish. Love accomplishes its intended goal as it establishes confidence in our heart for the day of judgment. So there's a few things that are happening here. We see an ability to love other people that's not intrinsic to us, that doesn't originate with the natural man. It's the work of the new birth in us, and it builds our assurance that we may stand confidently on the day of judgment. We reflect on what God has done in sending forth His Son Jesus to die as our substitute in our place so that we might have forgiveness of sin and our assurance for the day of judgment is being bolstered. It's being built up as we meditate on the reality of God's love for us as expressed in the person and the work of Jesus. The work of love, our love, God's love for us, Christ's love for us, the fruit of love in our life is a growing confidence for the day of judgment. I know because of God's love for me, because of, the confession of my confession of faith in Jesus Christ, because of the sincerity of my heart in stating that Jesus is Lord of all the earth, that no matter what happens to me in the here and now, that one day I am going to stand straight and tall with my head held high before the judge of all creation. And I won't stand straight and tall, proud, with shoulders back and chin up because of anything that I've done. Because what I've done will be irrelevant on that day. I will stand confident on the basis of what Christ has already done in history on my behalf. This is the product, the assurance, the perfection, the completion of God's love for us in our hearts that we might have confidence in the day of judgment. And this is precisely what John is referring to in verses 18 and following. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The love that God has for us drives away our fear of the day of judgment. We don't lie on our deathbeds as believers with fear and trepidation that God may not judge us well. There should be no middle ground for us, no wondering if this is going to work out. When I, when I talk with a person about their eternal destiny and they talk about trying to get into heaven or they talk about hoping to get into heaven or maybe I'll get into heaven or maybe I won't go to hell. I'm trying to work my way away from such a situation. It's always an indication to me that that person understands nothing whatsoever about the gospel because it's not about our personal efforts. It's about what Christ has done for us. That's the source of our assurance. 
That's the perfecting of God's love in us. That is one of the intended causes of God's expressing His love through His Son, Jesus Christ, that perfect love would drive out the fear of judgment in our heart. No one who fears has reached perfection in love. Perfect love dries out fear because fear is about punishment. Christ has drank the bitter cup of God's wrath against the sinful. The penalty for our crimes have been paid. The goal of God's love for us is maximizing His glory in our salvation. Again, we know His love, so we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Let me show you what the ultimate assurance of our salvation is. It's stated simply in verse 19. We love because He first loved us. Brothers and sisters, the ultimate assurance of our salvation is not our love for God, It's not our love for neighbor. It's God's love for us. Again, God has gone on record through His Son, Jesus Christ, for the love that He has for us. That's our hope. That's our salvation. Not that we've labored our way into a place of favor with God, but that God has made the ultimate sacrifice that we might enjoy the ultimate assurance that much would be made of Him, that salvation might come through Jesus Christ and through Him alone, that the name of Jesus would be the sound of salvation in all the earth, that through Christ we might come to the Father, that through the just one the unjust might be saved, that through the sinless one sinners might find forgiveness and grace and mercy. This is our assurance. This is why we can say with confidence that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you believed today in Jesus for grace and for mercy and forgiveness? It's not uncommon, even within a secular culture, for us to talk about how the world needs love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. I would agree with all of those things. But I, I, I wish the world around us could see and understand that apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ, that love and grace and mercy is beyond our grasp. Your ability to exhibit love and grace and mercy, your ability to attain to anything good whatsoever, is beyond your human capacity apart from the work of salvation in your life. Jesus said, Come unto me, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're laboring and toiling away, trying to win favor with God, I I want you to hear the words of the Savior, to come and to find rest from your labors in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's a good and faithful Savior who always does what is right, who always operates in the interest of His people. Bow your heart and your knee today to Jesus. Find rest for your weary soul, assurance of salvation, hope for tomorrow, the power to overcome the sin that has so easily entangled you. Dear friend, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come. Let's bow and go to Him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for its truth, for the chance to have met together this way this morning. And oh, Father, how we long for a day when we're able to meet again face to face. God, in light of what we've talked about, your love for us, Lord, the power you've given us to love those around us, the assurance that even before we gave thought to loving you, Lord, you loved us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we long to see you face to face. And I pray that for those who are watching as believers, Lord, that you'd grant them assurance, a longing for heaven, a burning in their heart to be before the God of heaven, and to join in the angelic choir that sings, Holy, Holy, Holy. Thank you for the great love that you have for your people. Thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've shown 
us undeserving followers who've come under the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for your son. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. This morning, folks, where you are, would you, would you trust and believe in Jesus? There, there may be some children gathering with believing moms and dads. There may be an unbelieving spouse that's watching with a husband or wife this morning. There may be some of you who just happened by our broadcast and under the circumstances you thought it might be a good idea to inquire about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what this gospel is all about. It's really a very simple message that we believe. We believe in the promise of heaven through Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God's only Son, that He's the only one to ever live without sin, that He died as a sacrifice for our sin, that He became our substitute at the cross. Buried in a borrowed grave, He rose again the third day as a testament to the truth of His message. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That Christ ascended to the right hand of God and He's seated in that position of power and will remain so until the day that the Father looks to the Son and says, Son, go and get your bride. Have you trusted and believed in Him? Look to Him before it's everlastingly too late. Look to Jesus for forgiveness of sin and assurance of salvation. If that's you this morning, if there's some way that you wish to connect with uh, Longview Point Church or the pastors of our staff, I hope that you'll reach out. You can reach us on any of the numbers that are before you on the screen. You can share prayer requests or any need that might arise at, Longview, at prayer at Longview Point. .org. I hope that you'll reach out. A few of you have begun to do that. This is getting to be a little more comfortable for folks, and so we're hearing from uh, families and individuals about how the Lord's at work in your life. Continue to do that. Uh, if, if, if you're born again but have never followed through with believers' baptism, this is a good opportunity to communicate with our pastors and make us aware of your desire to follow through faithfully in baptism. Maybe you've been attending here for some time, but you've never been joined to the fellowship of this church. Reach out to us and let us know of ways that we can minister to you in the days ahead. I want you to know that we miss you immensely, and I can't wait to be able to be back with you live and in person. Until we meet again, know that we love you. Know that God loves you. I hope that you're serving faithfully where you are within these tight circles of influence that we find ourselves existing these days, be a faithful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have a great day, and we'll see you soon.